Hello and welcome to Pete's Percussion Podcast. I'm your host, Pete Zambito, and we're here for episode 306, a part one of my conversation with recent Mizzou Masters in Percussion performance graduate, Emily Micklin. We'll get to her shortly. But first up, band camp. As I write this, we are in the midst of Marching Mizzou's 2022 band camp, and we are very excited and very tired. It's, it's band camp. It's tiring. But we're having a good time. We're getting a lot done and much more to tell you about that organization in the coming weeks and months. But with that, let's get to our conversation with Emily Micklin. It was great getting the chat with Emily for this interview for many reasons. I was first aware of her through my grad school friend, frequent guest, and wedding groomsman, Jeff Kalissi. Jeff had Emily as a student at Eastern Connecticut State University, where he teaches, for her undergrad, and mentioned to me at some point, probably PASIC 2018, that one of his students was auditioning for grad school and was strongly considering looking at Mizzou and studying with my colleague and frequent podcast guest, Megan Arntz. Then we found out she was actually coming here, and that was exciting. Earlier in the summer, I had released two interviews with Emily's Masters of Music colleagues, Stephen Landy and Jordan Nielsen. It was great getting to talk to all of them, though I'll admit that my conversations with Stephen and Jordan were ones that I learned a lot about them because I didn't have nearly as much time talking to them over their time here as I did with Emily. Because Emily and I worked a lot together from the beginning of our time here. Emily was assigned as the percussion grad assistant for the percussion techniques class, a class that I was running and mentoring during my first few years here at Mizzou. So she got to watch me run class and do some presenting here and there the first year she was here, and then she ran class and oversaw the teaching the second year. This past year, I was tasked with the liaison position between the Student Inclusivity, Diversity, and Equity Collective and the Mizzou School of Music Faculty's IDE Committee, of which I am a member. Emily, looking to get more involved with the student side, ended up stepping in immediately and became president of the organization. So she and I worked a lot to get things rolling throughout the year, and she ran the organization well. And as you'll hear in this interview, becoming the president of organizations, generally speaking, is something that Emily, well, she just does. And the reason for that is that she gets things done. Emily's not only professional and smart, but she is very good people. And you know what? Because she and the other grad students I talked to from Mizzou stayed three years due to everything that was canceled during the pandemic, it felt like they would never be allowed to leave. I certainly wasn't going to allow them to leave because all three of them have been great contributors to the musical life of Mizzou. Now, as frequently happens, we went long. So for this interview, we'll get to Emily's time at Mizzou, her work in the IDE and the Percussion Techniques course, getting settled into the area, her upbringing in Connecticut, and her work at Eastern Connecticut State. And then next week, we'll get the rest of the story. So here we go. We recorded this portion of the interview over Zoom 
on May 16th, 2022, and it begins right now. Stuff comes up that you don't want me to talk about, whatever's your way of, of telling me to um, okay. <laughs> yeah, just walk out. Which practice room are you in? I'm in the timpani practice room right now. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, if you need to, which, uh, have you played any of the Carter A- A2s yet? Oh, yeah. I love okay. the Carter A2s. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, if uh, March works, then you just uh, just start playing that. <laughs> Will do. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> cool. Let's let's talk about you finishing up here. I frequently with the master students asked to talk about your recital, your last recital. So yeah. tell me about putting that together. Yeah, my last recital, I I had a really fun time putting that together. Actually, both the recitals that I did here, I did a chamber recital my first, my second year here, right after COVID, uh, right after we got back from COVID lockdown. And that was fun because I got to play with all my friends and I, a chamber music is really what I love the most. And then this most recent recital, I put basically like a snippet or a piece from every aspect of what I've worked on here at Mizzou. So it really felt like a, a conclusion and a reflection of my time here. It was a lot of fun. So what were those pieces and elements? Yeah. So I started off with uh, VJ Iyer's Torque. So that was like a chamber quartet. Um, and it was with the grads and I've worked so much with them that that felt that was a really good moment to just play with everyone. Um, and then like a, a more contemporary Jennifer Jolly speaking piece, which was just fun to prepare some frame drums and such quite a bit of frame drum and Jill and Mbira and two mallet marimba, four mallet marimba, multi-percussion. Yeah. But just like a little bit from every aspect that I've, that I've worked on a lot here. So, yeah. What was fun was you um, you had to uh, with the jolly you had to deal with <laughs> the, oh, the earpiece the headpiece oh my god and you know what halfway through it felt it, so it fell off at the very end yeah and halfway through I knew it was going to <laughs> and I'm like do I save it or do I just keep I, I like tried to fix it mm-hmm. and it just made it worse so I was like you know what I'm just gonna keep playing and see what happens <laughs> yeah oh yeah. Yeah, that was, that was, you, you handle it well. Is, is what, Thank what you. Yeah. Account for everything in a live performance. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> what were the challenges with putting those two separate Jill pieces? Because you had the, you had the, the stuff that was on the Jill itself, but then you yeah. had the transcriptions. Yeah, that was really fun. Um, I've played a few of Valerie Naranjo's Jill transcriptions. I, and I think they're on the marimba and I think they're just fun because well, it's fun to see how it relates to the actual deal piece itself, but it's just such a exercise in independence. And that's really, I love, I love that kind of stuff. I did the same piece, Gandhi, and I played the jail transcription on Marimba, and then I played it on Jill. And um, someone had come in and, and taught that, that piece to us. Um, so, someone from Ghana. And he was actually a relative of who Valerie had learned that piece from on Jill. So that was really special too, because we got to talk about that in our lesson and yeah, just like a really cool lineage there. Remind me again, the piece that you closed with. Called White Chalk Outline and it was Carson Moody and Drew Warden. Uh, and that was fun because I was playing with Liz and Liz and I love playing together and, and we had played that piece for quite a while, but that one's super fun because it's also kind of 
uh, of an improvisatory polyrhythmic nature. Um, it's just kind of fun to, to go through it with all the different variations in there. Yeah. And loud. Yeah. It's a loud one. <laughs> it is a loud one. I like, I like loud stuff too. So that's good. What other stuff aside from, um, you know, what you were putting together for this, but what were some of the other responsibilities you had as part of the assistantship and your other work yeah. here? Yeah. Um, so I was the general percussion teaching assistant here. So I did quite a bit of teaching, which was fantastic. So I, with you, of course, I um, helped out in my first year with the percussion methods course for undergraduate education majors. And then because I stayed out of third year, I actually eventually got to teach that course by myself, which was great experience. Kind of started this, I guess it has existed in the very past, but I re- configured a non-major percussion ensemble, uh, mostly like music ed majors or people that did percussion in high school, but don't want to be a major anymore. Um, and so I ran that ensemble every Wednesday night. What time did that meet? And from 8.30 to 10 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. And you know, it's just like, everyone thinks it's so crazy when they hear that, but we have such a blast. And I've, I've had it's such great retainment for people that want to keep going in the ensemble. So the time does not seem to bother people. <laughs> Hopefully that sticks around because it's so much fun. Um, it's such a great outlet for education majors too, because there's only so much you can do in a, in a percussion methods course, as far as playing goes with the resources and time you have. So it's almost, I feel like it's a lab for, it could be seen as a lab element for the percussion methods course. Um, but it's just a fun ensemble. And then I've taught undergraduate non-major lessons, uh, private lessons, which has been fantastic and really rewarding. I love that. Um, and then I do quite a bit with um, either bringing, helping to bring in guest artists like Teague. We had a virtual residency with Teague Percussion and So Percussion. So I helped both of those. Um, inventory, maintenance of instruments, getting people to PASIC on school funding, all that kind of stuff was part of my TA. So you were kind of the direct resource for the, for getting grants? Yeah. Dr. Arns and I would sit down and, and fill out all, all of the grant stuff together and be, I would help be in contact, like kind of the student liaison for payment for the groups and any kind of logistical elements of the groups, making sure the residencies were run smoothly between, we were usually funded by um, a resource on campus. So I would just be the liaison between them and, and our guests, which was I love doing that kind of stuff. So it's a lot of fun. Well, I'm yeah. glad it's fun. I know. <laughs> I love I love spreadsheets. I love emails, all that kind of stuff. Wow. <laughs> Which is good, I guess, because there's going to be a lot of that in my future, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. This semester, when you all had so on a, I guess, a, well, Antique, too, I guess we're on distance yep. residencies, right? Yeah, virtual. Yeah, all virtual. On, I, I know Teague was was still like last year and that was pretty much no one could travel. So right. um, was there for the so one a possibility or an element where you actually did try to get them here? I think just because of their schedules and our schedules, we never intended for that to happen for this residency, at least. But I'm sure in the future, I mean, we have some students going up to SOCI this summer. So that'll be special for them because they already know so and they can work with them in person. 
Yeah, you know, it's funny though, even with the virtual residencies, I didn't feel, I felt like they were with us so, so much. And it, it really, because you're working with them over a larger period of time, whereas a, an in-person residency would probably only be a week, you feel like you really get to know the individuals that are coaching you so well. And it, it, I don't think the virtual aspect, I mean, of course they can't be in person and play the lick in front of you. So that's, that's not, you know, that, that would be a benefit of having them in person, but it feels, it works. Like we were really shocked to see how well it worked, the virtual residencies. So how would, when, when those would happen, what was the typical setup? Were, were they all there for each of the sessions or was there like, they, you would have one person per session? The way that we kind of ended up structuring it was like, we would meet with the full group every once in a while, just so that they could meet our studio. And we would chat about, especially this time around, we chatted a lot about community engagement ideas and we would have brainstorming sessions about how to be more present in our community. What are our goals as a studio in terms of inclusion and and community efforts? Um, But then really when it came down to the music, one member of So was coaching piece and the same thing happened with Teague actually we would have one main coach of the ensemble for each piece that our studio was playing so you really get to know your coach pretty well because you check in with them every week when your piece rehearses you'll rehearse separately and then you'll rehearse with them um, at certain times as a coaching so that was that was really helpful too were you on the piece that had the sudoku yes yeah, nine. Well, I think this one was nine number six. That's one of Jason Truding's pieces. Yeah, I lo- I just love that kind of stuff so much. <laughs> that was a blast for me. Yeah, and anything. And I I think what I took away from the virtual residencies was that I was shocked to see how well it worked with rote learning pieces mm. because Geek we did not have scores for anything. They like wrote down little notes and we wrote down our notes, but it's all rote learning, which that's, I thought that was just such a fantastic experience. And then nine, number six, J- Jason's piece was also the same way. Um, and I think that that format worked so well virtually more than we expected it to. Well, and, and on that one, the one thing that was, that was challenging from an audience is that when you're looking at the Sudoku, you don't really know what, 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 <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's like what is yeah. What so, is so what can you describe what what the expectation was from from a performer on that? Yeah, it was on a cycle of different of reading the puzzle, and when you like uh, just you know left to right each mm-hmm. row, and when you hit certain letters, you play out that or certain numbers. I should say certain numbers. Yeah. You mm-hmm. play that out rhythmically okay. on the front of you in a certain way and then you know at certain points the puzzle reduces and you only stay on one line and at certain points you you start the puzzle at a different time so there's like a canon going on so just like you have to know the form of the piece and then you could play that piece with any sudoku puzzle oh okay you said that was jason's piece so jason would give you the puzzle. Well, he would tell you like what the form was. Is, is that yeah. or the form would be predetermined? Is that what would happen? Yep. And he basically taught us um, like there were like three main big sections in our minds, the way that we conceptualized it. So he taught us how to go through the first section. Like first you start on this line, you go through the puzzle one time with only playing the sixes. And then the second time you have the sevens, the eights, whatever. Um, yeah. So every week in our coachings, he would give us a new piece of the form. 
And, you know, we picked our own Sudoku puzzle and one of our, our members filled out the puzzle and, um, yeah. And then he would just check in and, and teach us the next step basically. So that was really fun. Great. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> As you mentioned, kind of one of your things was the, um, was the methods class. And yeah. but what I, I want to ask you is over your time, the three years, did, did your responsibilities change at all? It sounds like they, inc- they may have increased or you were given uh, opportunities to teach more stuff than had originally been planned. Yeah. I think as I went on, I mean, the opportunity to do the, my, the non-major percussion ensemble was always there. Um, I felt like after the first semester, I had more confidence and more resources to know how to do that by myself. But it was kind of like, a, you don't have to do this, but you could do this. Um, and that was something I was really interested in. So I was able to just take on, I mean, depending on the semester and what my responsibilities look like, I could take on more, more students privately um, or less students and do more uh, if there was more of a need for inventory that semester or whatever. Um, so it was like, it, it really catered. I really wanted the teaching assistantship here because that's, I really love teaching and I, I wanted more experience at the collegiate level. And I really felt like I was able to kind of with Dr. Arns's help, create my own workload and, and semester by semester, take on new challenges in the teaching realm. So that was really fun. Because you stayed three years, what was your your classroom load, your own classroom studies load like? Yeah, I front loaded. I was not expecting to stay three years. So my first right. <laughs> my first year, I really front loaded my coursework quite a bit, which was probably for the best. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the the thing was that the further that I, or the longer I stayed in Columbia, the more opportunities I had outside of Mizzou set up. So the more external teaching I was doing, you know, building my own studio outside of school, gigging a lot more in town, being closer or having more responsibilities with community music groups in town that I was a part of. So I'm kind of glad that I front loaded the coursework my first year here when there wasn't all that other stuff going on. I think I even took the assistantship covered summer classes too. So I think that that summer when we were in quarantine, I finished my last requirements Mm. and yeah. And then from then on, it really was ensemble. It was very, very performance-based, which was the first time I feel like in my academic career, I ever had a performance-based schedule, even though I've always been a performance major. (laughs) So that was good. I was like, finally, this is, this is what I want to do every day. And um, I just took on less extra lessons when I could, extra ensembles to fill my schedule. Wow. You really didn't take much coursework outside of that after that first year. Yeah, I think maybe like one course, honestly, after that. And I think at that point, they were still semi-virtual. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think I took my history course my second year and that was the last requirement. I mean, I did have to do my my independent studies and for graduation and prepare for comps and all that kind of stuff, but no more like theory or history classes, basically. Yeah. I love those. Go ahead. Did you come in? Did you have to take any of the makeup stuff or were you were you all set to go on the theory? Um, I definitely had to do a graduate theory review. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. I think we almost all of us did. <laughs> Which was good, though, because every school is so different in the way they teach theory. So that was helpful. It was a great review, actually. It was, it was what I needed. 
So was that with Dr. Lee? Yeah, I love yeah. Dr. Lee. He's such a great theory professor. Yeah, yeah. One of the other things that that happened, obviously, was that, and I, I know this was unexpected, but you this past year, you were like, oh, I want to do more stuff with uh, with uh, IDE. Yeah. <laughs> and then you're like, hey, we need a president. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I was not expecting that. But it was a great experience. It really was. I mean, I, I mean, you know this because, uh, you know, Dr. Zambito is my faculty advisor for IDE, but such a fantastic group of people in the School of Music that I wouldn't have met otherwise or wouldn't have become close with. So, I mean, and the faculty as well. Like there were certain faculty members that really my relationship with them was because of of inclusion, diversity, and equity and their efforts towards it and how it matched, you know, my, my goals. So I think on my end, when it happened that, that it was like, I think you might be the person yeah. I was, my immediate thought was, well, things will get done Yeah, <laughs> because it's Emily. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. This past year was the first year. I mean, you know, it's so, I had so much on my plate this past year that at times I felt like I had taken on too much, you know, and I always, that's always the struggle. I feel like, especially for everyone in music is like, it's, it's just the balance. And um, luckily IDE was always high on my list of priorities. So it, it did usually get done, you know, but there were some times I came back that I was like, oh man, it's so hard for me to say no, because I love all this stuff so much, but the balance of it was tricky for sure. Now that you mentioned all the stuff about that you like doing, you're like, I like spreadsheets. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. well, we had also talked as a group about how the need for specific meetings that are the planning meetings. Right. And then the programs. <laughs> right. Right. And I feel like I feel in hindsight too, looking back at, you know, in my leadership role in IDE, I feel like where my strengths were, were organization and then where I could use improvement in the future as a leader is a solidifying of a vision and goal amongst a group of people. I think I'm still, you know, I had my ideas and then it's hard for me to, I'm working on listening to everyone's ideas and, and making more executive decisions. I'm kind of just like a yes person to everyone. And, and that works, I think, especially in a group like IDE. But then there's times where people are looking for someone to make a decision and that's where I need some work, I think. <laughs> so it was a good learning experience for me, too. I'm like, I'm good with the spreadsheets. I'm good with the emails. But uh, as far as leadership, that's somewhere where I, I could start working on, for sure. I know because you and I have talked uh, uh, outside of this about. Yeah. And, and I know with other faculty, too, that you've talked about how it's it can be tough to find a focus. Yeah. With that, because there is so much need. Yeah. Yeah what is the most crucial that's like I feel like that's like a huge lesson I've learned in grad school is like trying to find the most crucial thing <laughs> that needs your attention and really being able to focus on that while keeping everything you know in your peripheral view so it's still on the radar somewhere but really being able to to understand what what is needed of me right now or what it, what is needed of this you know what does the school of music need from us right now and and really focusing on that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think as we've mentioned and, and we both know that we there is a really strong core of of undergrads, particularly, who are really yeah. fired up about this. Yeah. It's awesome to see. I 
and I, I hope that, I mean, it, it's such a great group of undergrads that are so passionate about inclusion, diversity, and equity, and making our school of music a better place every day. And I hope there's such influential members of the undergraduate class that are like leaders and and have so many friends in the School of Music. So I hope that they can even bring more people into the collective so we can get more ideas and more voices. And yeah, it's really neat to see. Uh, aside from the the stuff you were doing at Mizzou, what were some of the outside performances you were getting to do and the other groups that you were um, connected with? So I did a lot of teaching outside, which was great, piano and percussion. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Um, I did do, I performed at times with... Were you using movie. these books? Oh, yeah. I yeah. have, well, <laughs> yes, I love those. Yeah. And the uh, piano... Alfred's premier piano course. Oh, yeah. And then I like the, uh, the of course, the favor. You got to have some favor in there. Mm-hmm. My young one loved the favor. Yeah, I did do performances in town with the Missouri Symphony Orchestra, the Missouri Contemporary Ballet... Um, just playing locally around town whenever I could, whenever something came up. Um, I was involved with Wansanara, um, mm-hmm. African group. I interned for them and would, would also drum with them as well. Um, they're currently doing some leadership changes and I'm, I'm helping out with that a little bit. Yeah, I think that's mostly, I mean, just a lot of random stuff that would come up. You know, when we had Emmanuel Agbelli in town, I had the chance to work with Grant Elementary kids a little bit. Um, and I, that's my favorite thing is doing like outreach for, for elementary schools and just playing a little bit here and there. So just so we can expose percussion to, to kids that might not normally see it and all that. You like towering over the kids. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> I, I love working with kids. So that's, I had never worked with young kids until grad school. And now like a, a majority of my private students outside of the university are, are elementary aged and it's so rewarding and they're just so fun. So I hope, I hope there's more of that in my future for sure. Yeah. 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 I'm going to kind of go broader here. Um, yeah. And I, whenever I've, t- I've talked to grad students uh, on this, I, I've, I bring the, bring this one question up, which is what kind of stuff amongst you all, you know, and, th- and not just the, not just necessarily the cohort that's, that's percussion, but all of the grad students that I know that you've interacted with. But what kinds of things are you all, are concerns for you all, things that you're thinking about in, in education or performance that are just kind of issues that you, you all are just kind of talking to each other about? Yeah, that's a good question. Because, you know, I know there's an answer to this because when I'm with the grad students here at Mizzou, like, we can't not talk about music like we I'm like God, we got to talk about something else <laughs> but it's so it's like our it's everything we do and a lot of my friends are composers and I mean we we talk about programming a lot uh who we should be programming you know what what's considered important in our musical world right now and and why you know I think I think diversity of programming comes up a lot do you all, I'm curious, do you all talk about employment? Oh, yeah, we definitely talk about employment. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, maybe this is just because we're really talking about it a lot right now, but sometimes it's it's hard to really find, especially for graduating for a performance major, um, sometimes it feels like teaching or nothing, you know? And like, we've, we've discussed 
what our future careers should look like, what we want them to look like, and how are we going to get there? And is it feasible? And um, just, I think just all that normal stuff about jobs and, and, and futures in, in the arts, for sure. It's interesting, though, that when you, when you talk about, it's like you, you're incorporating the IDE stuff into yeah. your programming, mm-hmm. um, because so much of, not necessarily you as much as um, Jordan and Steven, were, where they were playing new music all the time. Right. Right. We talk about new music a lot too. And I mean, I guess, I guess when we really get together, we just talk about, you know, which composers are writing for which extended techniques and what we, what we've had to, what we've been asked to do. And when we just are the percussionists together, you know, we talk about that kind of stuff. And, and you know what, I do feel like my world here at Mizzou, I mean, I used to never really play that much new music at all, or, you know, work directly with composers, living composers, um, and that's been a, a largely rewarding part of, of my graduate experience here was being opened up to that world and uh, really just like for the first time in my life, not being judgmental about a new piece of music in front of me. Like that's something I was like, wow, I'm so judgmental. <laughs> I was like, my God, like, you know, and I really learned to love pieces that three years ago I would have never even taken a second look at and and that feels really special too. That I'm like most most thankful for that in my graduate career. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what you're saying is it turns out it's harder to when they put a piece of music on a stand, uh, when the composer is there and you just want to pick the piece up and crumple it up and throw it out, <laughs> it's harder to do while the composer is in the it's room. In the room. <laughs> I don't know if that's what I'm saying, but <laughs> I mean, I think, and too, I'm like, the thing I love about music most is, is that we are connecting with with individuals from across the world. Like we're, it's just this network that we can all relate to. And I think I've always loved music from the perspective that it's human connection. So I think being closer to the composers or closer to people um, that that write new, new music or whatever has brought in, has, has allowed me to open up a space for because I appreciate those people when they're in front of me and I appreciate those connections. So I can... I can try and listen to their music from a new perspective. And then I have actually really enjoyed a lot of things that I previously would not have listened to or performed. So, yeah. Well, cool. Uh, We're going to circle back, but uh, we'll come back to some, some other Mizzou specific things, but let's back up. Emily, where did you grow up? I grew up in Enfield, Connecticut. (laughs) Yes. And then I went to my undergraduate degree at Eastern Connecticut State University. Yeah. Um, What part of Connecticut, where in Connecticut is Enfield? So it's super north. Um, Like I was right on the Massachusetts border. Yes. Right on the Massachusetts border. I was born in Springfield, Massachusetts. You know, where my mom lives now is, is actually like you could walk to Massachusetts from her house in 10 minutes, you know, so it's super north, right in the middle, close to Hartford. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, I always think about it as like really close to Springfield, Massachusetts, really close to Hartford, Connecticut. So, yeah. Now, which of those cities is better? I don't know. Uh, you know, it, when it's funny, until, well, when I grew up until I was like 10, I didn't know which city was which. <laughs> so I just thought they were both like the same city. Springfield, I worked in Springfield for quite a long time uh, throughout college and 
uh, yeah, actually throughout every summer in college, I worked in Springfield and I loved, I loved working there. I think I spent more time in my adult life in Hartford, um, West Hartford specifically with my friends and my sister moved there after we graduated college. So I enjoyed being in the restaurants and downtown in Hartford. It's really nice. Gotcha. Uh, do you have any family members in the arts? No. My sister does a little bit of dance. Mm-hmm. Is she older or younger? We're twins. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, I'm wait, wait. Three, so, who's older and younger then? Uh, yeah, I'm three minutes older. So, okay, there it is. <laughs> yeah. But no, no one. I, I don't have anyone in the arts or even, I mean, you know, I think my dad like took some drum lessons when he was little for a couple of years. Yeah. And that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. So how does percussion come into your life then? Like how did it growing up? Yeah. I started playing piano when I was very young. Um, I just loved it. I've, I'll never forget like listening to my first Beethoven CD when I was like, that's one of my first memories. And I was like, I have to do this. Like, I, it's so weird. So I was like three, you know, but I was like, this is the most captivating thing in my life right now. And so I played piano growing up. Um, my brother was four years older and he was in marching band and he played saxophone and I would go to the football games and I would see the drum line. And I was like, I love that. I have to do that. <laughs> So I kept, at the time I was in middle school and I was playing flute in bands. Oh. So yeah. And still playing percussion or so I'm sorry, still playing piano privately, but per, flute in band. And I kept asking like, can I please play percussion? Can I please play percussion? And you know, they're like, Oh, maybe, maybe we'll see. Then I got to high school and they said, you play piano. We need you to join winter Drumline because we need someone to play marimba. So I started playing marimba and I loved that, but I was on the side to the instructors. I was like, I really want to play drums really badly. And they're like, okay, it's a lot of work. Eventually, like I just started like learning from friends and went to summer. What what age is this? This is high school. Like I think my junior year of high school, that was the first time like I actually played a a drum because I, I like, took an I learned enough to play um snare drum in like the winter show yeah and we weren't marching or anything it was like a standstill show like really easy stuff and then I went to a summer camp intensive before my senior year and then I made drumline my senior year and I marched snare and I think I stayed in percussion for the concert season because I just enjoyed it more but like really had like never played a timpani, like never really played concert snare drum, like didn't know my rudiments. I mean, enough rudiments to march snare, but I didn't, you know, I wasn't playing out of Sarone or anything like that. Um, but I, I did practice quite a bit and got pretty decent and I already had that piano background. So then I went to college and joined the percussion ensemble and took private lessons and was just obsessed with percussion and really worked really hard that first year to make up for the lost time. So wait, is that when you got connected to Khaleesi? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because I went into college, not as a music major. I did want to be a music major, but my parents did not want me to. (laughs) So I went in and I just did music on the side and they were like, you know, you should do this as a minor. And I was like, actually, I kind of want to just do it as a major if that's okay with you. (laughs) And then I, yeah. And then I switched to a major. Okay. All right. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. Okay. So kind of a weird path. It, well, yeah, I, I, but it's, 
it's fascinating because I don't know for some reason I had it in my head that you took lessons with with Jeff prior to undergrad, but no, no, yeah, well, because you weren't in the same town. No, I mean he. I guess technically he lived close to me at the time, mm-hmm. but we were not. Yeah, he he was in teaching in Wilbantic. Yeah, yeah, yep. I got it. Um, yeah. Piano wise, how far did you get? What was um, the, like some of the last stuff you were playing? Like I was playing, I was playing like Chopin, like Revolutionary to. Oh yeah. Yeah. I don't know how good it, I mean, I, I wish I had videos so I could be like, was I even good? Uh-huh. <laughs> but I was playing like really high level pieces. I was not competing or anything like that. I was just playing high level pieces. I don't play like that anymore. <laughs> I try. <laughs> I was like revolutionary is a great tune. Ba-bum, ba-bum, ba-bum. Yeah. 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 I love, I just, I loved Chopin so much growing up that like yeah. I used to, like, I remember one time my teacher put, like, a, a Bach fugue in front of me because we were going to start doing audi- – I wanted to do college auditions on piano mm-hmm. before we're like, you know, don't do that. But – so we started learning, like, a Bach fugue, and I was like, I hate this so much. Like, I just want to play Chopin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I love playing Bach, but back then, you could not – you could not get me to play Bach. <laughs> it's fascinating because I don't think – I mean, I I had a piano background as well, but I don't right. think I don't think my teacher. I think my teacher was well aware that I was never going to do it, and it's one yeah. of those things where now I would actually really dig like getting it, like really getting into it. I, I know if I had the time, I would I would sit down because I've taken piano lessons in undergrad and grad school <laughs> with faculty and. I love it so much. I just like, don't have the time to like, but if someone gave me a back now, I would love to work on it. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's great. Where, what, um, I, were you playing like anything that was in that style or was it just Chopin? When you, uh, <laughs> I don't, I, it was a lot of romantic. So, I mean, I played some debut, a lot of WC too. I think, I think it was a lot of romantic. Mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. Because I wasn't, you know, I, I really wasn't competing or had a reason to do things that I didn't love. So I yep. was really thinking on like romantic era pieces that I liked. Yeah. List, a lot of lists. And, oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Like what? Yeah. Uh, what's, <laughs> like, what's the one that, <laughs> oh, that one was, oh, Leave a Straw. The Leave oh, a Straw. Yeah. yeah, I played that one year. Yeah, I wish some of this stuff is, is still in my hands. Like, it's just was so memorized when I was younger that I still have it. And then some of it is just so gone. Yeah. Sounds about yeah, right. Yeah, I still love it. Now, I, now piano is just something I, it's like my musical hobby now, I feel like. Because it's like, it's relaxing and I don't have to, I don't have to be good at it. So it's like, it's just fun for me. Yeah. Yeah. At this, at times, I will, I, I wonder how much. I never totally know how much sound comes out of my office. Um, yeah. That, you know, going towards the lounge. Right. But because there'd be times when I, I've had students be like, oh, I was relaxing to hear you play piano. And, and it would be, I think I've played like, I don't, it might've been like I was playing chord progressions for theory or something like that. And it was like, that okay. was, that was the relaxing thing. I have <laughs> relaxing music. <laughs> Gotta love a good chord progression. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that I'll 
that's only only because I'll I'll throw it open and, and I'll be like, oh, yeah. now it's back in my hands or, you know, ish. Well, because you have a degree in piano, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's so fun. I just, I have so much respect for people that, like, because, you know, I really played, I've been playing since I was like five. Mm-hmm. And still feel like I'm just so bad at piano, <laughs> which is not true. You know, I'm pretty, I can be decent and, you know, I can read pretty well. But, but when I see like piano majors and, and they just, they're playing for like 50 students and they're just opening up a book and reading a whole, I mean, it blows my mind. It's, I have so much respect. I really do. Yeah. I think piano is so hard. <laughs> <laughs> there were a couple of times in, uh, with a couple like with professors and with other grad students when I was in, yeah. when I was at UNC Greensboro, where they would, they would open, they'd be like, Oh, this piece looks nice. And just, yeah. you know, rip it off. And I'd be like, I, I hate you. And yeah. I will never be able to do that. I know. I know. I'm in the same boat. I'm just like, what the heck? <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Very cool though. Yeah. But you hate them, but you're secretly just like, yeah. like so angry right now, but it's yeah. so impressive. I know. <laughs> and they're bullying. Like, I don't think yeah, I ever... Exactly. It's musical. Yeah. It's not just notes. It's not just notes. I know. I don't think, you know, for as much as I was playing high-level rep in high school for piano, I don't think... And I think I was musical enough, mm-hmm. but I, I don't think I really, like... I feel like I had a very strong musical epiphany in, like, junior year of college. Mm-hmm. Piano lesson about listening to myself playing. Like, I... I I remember my piano teacher in college was like, you know, you, you read well, you play well, but I just don't think you're listening to every note that you play. And it's, it's very apparent. And when he said that, I was like, what does that mean? And then I spent like a month actually thinking about it. And then from then on, I have like this very different ability to listen to myself play. And I totally know what he means. I'm like, I've never in piano, like, Maybe I was voicing unintentionally because of the scoring, but now it's it's very prevalent in my mind. I I know what it means to voice a piece. <laughs> Thank God, you know, after all these years. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's just like it clicked in a new way. Yeah. My listening changed quite a bit at that point. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's what's fun as you get to be uh, a senior citizen like myself is that. Um, <laughs> Is that you can you can pull back a piece that you played when you know from you know probably when you were a teenager, and it will your ears are just so different now that it, it'll be a fun experience to almost rediscover the piece because because right. you're you're starting to play it in the way that you you now he, you know hear and play music. Right, right. It changes, and I and I think that's really cool. Hopefully, it continues to to grow and change. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. No, that's that's great. I, one last thing on this is was there's a, a um, when I was taking because I also took piano lessons in grad school. I was while I was doing the percussion stuff, and I remember yeah. um, one of the professors saying uh, someone had someone who was like a teenager or something had played um, a noct a Chopin nocturne, you know, yeah. one of those amazing works, and and the the whoever was the pianist and I can't remember who it was. Um, said like, that's very good. You know, he's like, now go live your life and come back to this piece when you're like 50. Yeah. It's, and and now, and then you'll yeah. really get to do it. Well, I love that so much. Cause I also think 
that was a huge lesson in grad school too, was like trying to make sure that I was a real human being at the same time. Like I, and I am so glad that I was in this program with Dr. Arns because I think there's places that I could have gone that would not have made sure I was also being a real human being. And I think it has impacted my musical ability so much to have the life outside of music. And I'm, it's so hard for me to do. I never realized how hard it was for me to do that until the pandemic hit. And I felt like I had nothing because I wasn't performing and wasn't playing music. And then, you know, I've worked so hard in grad school to make sure that I am valuing my friendships and taking time away and not feeling guilty about it and, and growing my life in other ways so that my music is better, you know? So I love that. I think that's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Well, you, I think even when you earlier, when I asked you about the, what you talked with the grad students about and you yeah. going, can we just talk about something other than music? Yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's a growth step. That's really good. Yeah, I think so. And like meeting, making sure that I think, you know, I've always said this, like, I think it's really important to have friends outside of music, mm-hmm. especially in grad school. I tell this to my students too, because in music school, if you're surrounded by other musicians and you see that they're also going 14 hours a day and not eating well and not sleeping well, and they're still not feeling like they're doing enough and they're so focused on performance all the time. If you have a friend that's studying something else and they see what you're doing, they'll tell you that it seems crazy and you'll feel a little bit more normal. So it's, it's not always this, like you can get very tunnel visioned in, in, in music school, I think, and just be very hard on yourself. So having a support system outside of music to be like, you're doing great. You sound amazing. Rest <laughs> is important. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the three hours you're going to, you're going to practice from 10 to one AM. Right. Maybe just actually go to sleep. Maybe sleep. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, hopefully your, your music friends are telling you that too, but sometimes we get a little caught up with yeah, each yeah. other. Yeah. Yeah. So while you're in, in high school and you're doing all these other things um, that are not, not even percussion yet, uh, though they will be, are you involved in anything else? Were you doing like student government or church related activities or sports at that point? Yeah, I was, I was the president of my class for all four years in high school. Really? <laughs> yeah. I love organization. You know, I just, <laughs> I've gathered that. <laughs> yeah. I really like student senate. So I was president all four years. I was in theater. I loved theater. Oh, okay. Yeah, I did every theater production, almost everyone, I think. Um, Were these these, uh, musicals also? Yeah, in the spring we would do a musical. In the fall we would just do a show. What what were some of the productions you were in? um, We did did all of these. It was like by this guy, Tim Kelly. We had this certain contract, I think, with like a a playwright person. So they weren't well-known shows. Okay. They were very well fit for our group. Um, a lot of them were like Westerns or like, you know, just funny little shows. But it was a lot of fun. I really loved that. Definitely had some other extracurriculars, but mostly student government, theater, band. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So how is it that you are president for four years? <laughs> Does nobody, did nobody want the position or I, you were just, I think that was... So- no, I think people ran against me like a couple times, maybe, but like people just didn't want to do it. And I was like, <laughs> I get it. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to do it though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think that's what it was. And then like, you know, I really liked the fundraising and I, you know, I just can't, 
that's that's a problem. I can't sit still. So I was always like way too deep <laughs> in high school. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. So, what so like did you have to like run did you have platforms that you had to that you ran on? Yeah, I I don't know like even what they would have been. I think just like fundraising for prom was like the biggest one. <laughs> or like we used to do like homecoming floats mm-hmm. and I like you know, my dad would get involved and all all of the student senate dads would like get together and would build this like cool float and we would usually like win the competition and stuff. It was just like really I I wasn't anything too crazy, I don't think, but that was fun. Yes. Had you had you looked into be, doing any of that while you were here? No. Okay. Not while, yeah, not while I'm here. Because, you know, I tried to stay, after a certain point in undergrad, I tried to stay very specific to music. Because if there's anything else, I mean, granted, I, you know, have a personal life outside of music. Sure. But if I do anything at school that's not music related, mm. uh, it's just too much, I feel like, at this at this stage. Yeah. I feel like that explains a lot too. <laughs> oh no! That's you, not- you being class president for four years, I'm like, of course. I'm, it's like, of course, of course, you were Emily. <laughs> I don't even think it was like that. I don't even think I did too much. I think it was just like, you know, we had to like plan prom and plan fundraisers and like do that kind of stuff. Class yeah. trip. Yeah. Did you yeah. did you have to pump? No, that's okay. I didn't even know what the word pomp meant until about six months or like this past homecoming season because all of these students are coming up to me like I'm sorry I didn't practice I had 12 hours of pomping this week and I was like what is that (laughs) and why are you doing 12 hours of it (laughs) I had no idea very different culture out here as far as sororities go and I there were no sororities or fraternities at my undergrad at all so that was a shift yeah it's not big up up north it really isn't not no, not in the same way. Not in the same way as it is out here. Yeah, yeah. 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 That's, that's I same. <laughs> I think I, I I actually and I was trying to think of the word while you were telling me about the float and and it finally came to me pomp because same thing. I had a, a student that was um, in my career development class. Same thing. She's like, well, this. I'm sorry. I'm like, I have no time this week because I have to do right seven hours of pomp. You know, this afternoon evening. Okay. Same yeah. thing. Like, what what is that? And I was like, what if you didn't do it? <laughs> I was like, what if you just told them you had to practice? And they're like, I don't think I can do that. I was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel like you can, but I don't know the rules. <laughs> I have yeah. no idea. Exactly. Yeah. You were doing, okay, so, so in high school you did Winter Guard and you were asked to do that. And so at that point when you're asked to play mallet instruments, are, is this all two mallet or did you actually get a primer and four mallets? No, I never had a primer in four mallets in high school, which is kind of crazy to me because I mean, out here I'm teaching my middle schoolers four mallets. Sure. It's so different. Yeah. So I didn't learn four mallets until, I mean, I think maybe I knew about it and I tried it out by myself, but I don't think I, I actually played four mallets until college. Okay. Yeah. So how do you end up going to Eastern Connecticut state? I was, inducted into the honors program which pays full tuition and my parents said you're going (laughs) so that was how I ended up there and I really did not want to go I wanted to go to UMass for the marching band Mm. and um I'm so glad that my that my parents forced me forced me they they wanted me to go to a school that was not only within a budget but 
uh, I got more opportunities there. It was a smaller school and it, you know, in hindsight, had I knew that I was doing music, I probably would have gone to a different school, but also in the same way, I probably wouldn't have ended up doing percussion because I was given the opportunity to grow in percussion at Eastern. Um, and I was given a lot of attention and was given the opportunity to grow. Whereas at a bigger school, I think I would have just kind of been pushed to the side. Um, and that wouldn't have been even an option. So I'm, I'm very grateful that I ended up at Eastern. Was the honors portion something that was it a statewide situation or was it just that school? It was just that every, uh, I think every school in the system had a different honors program. Mm -hmm. This honors program was different in specific to the school. They like inducted 25 students a year and paid their tuition, but you had to do like a bunch of extra courses and a, and a thesis. Yeah. But in hindsight, I mean, it was a fantastic preparation for grad school because in my methods course, I mean, in my research courses at grad school, it was a breeze and everyone else was having a really, really hard time. And I was like, I basically had to do this on a semester basis for the honors program. So it was a really great preparation for me. There, because I, I'm, I'm a little bit familiar with the honors, some of the honors stuff that's here. Yep. Um, but what was the, what were kind of the, the, how, well, first of all, how many courses did you have to take to fulfill that requirement? I don't remember exactly. I think there were like four different colloquium you had to take that were of different, uh, different disciplines. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, different discipline offered every semester yep. and some were, were cross-disciplinary, which was really cool. Um, and then I think you had to take like honors thesis for your senior year, two semesters, maybe like an introduction to honors thesis or junior year, and then like an introduction to the honors program your freshman year, probably the whole year. So it was quite a lot of extra coursework, but some of them ended up counting for like my tier requirements as well. So it kind of like, I, I think it wasn't all that bad. I enjoyed it because I, I love taking courses outside of music. I think it's helpful for music, so... Like what were some of the courses, some of the, the yeah. course areas you were taking in honors? I remember we took a class about democracy, the dilemmas of democracy. Um, I took a site-specific theater course for it. Well, I think your freshman year, you take a course where it's like three different disciplines in one. Hmm. So it was like ethnomusicology, actually, um, and economics. Uh God. Yeah. There was some, I think I took a women's studies class. It was a lot of them were very specific, mm-hmm. um, like a, like a Middle East conflict class and very challenging, but the course offerings were actually fantastic. I think. Yeah. Were any of them in music specific? Well, you said ethnomusicology, yes. Yeah. And I think now there's a few that are music specific because I think my thesis mentor, he's now the director of the honors program. After I left, he became the director, and I think he offers a a course. I'm sure it's about film music or, like, music in the environment or something, but, like, very specific, I'm sure. Because it's, it's almost like um, you almost take a course with the faculty on, like, their research area, basically, mm. you know, and they design it, and it's it's very in-depth. Um, but he, he taught fantastic classes, so I'm sure whatever he's teaching is great. Yeah. No, oh, that's, that's great. Yeah. You mentioned how that actually set you up because you were having to do really hard things 
at a time when maybe not everyone else doing very hard things. Yeah. Yeah. And also the person I was working with was, had such high standards. Um, and he was a musicologist. So when I came here and they were expecting us to do musicology research as perform, you know, cause you, you have to do some sort of research. Mm-hmm. I had already, I really had an understanding of what that meant and what the expectations for like, I mean, he held me to such high expectations that I was very well prepared. <laughs> it's a little brutal actually. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's the other, yeah. That's, we don't say that part, but yes, that's also. Yeah. True. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It, yeah. Was there any of the of the hand that they hand the stuff back to you and they're like, no. And then they just yeah. give it right back. I think every I told this my mom was visiting for graduation and somehow this came up and I was like, I think everything I ever handed to him was like a no. <laughs> it was a very polite no. It was yeah, like, yeah. well, maybe, but no. <laughs> <laughs> Until like maybe my thesis was done and he was like, he like signed the paper and I was like, oh, thank God. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Well, if you ever decide to do a doctorate that requires a lot of a, um, that that is a large book. Yeah. That, there's a lot of that coming your way. I'm sure I'm well prepared. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm because it turned me into a more patient human being and <laughs> and much more prepared for my future. So that's good. Yeah. 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 It's it's not good to to feel to make it feel like you got reduced to a no, but, but then you also like, all right, pick it up. Like, <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, what else am I going to do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So when do you get connected to the whirlwind that is Dr. Jeffrey Luke Calissi? <laughs> uh, you know what? I think I met him my first, actually, I will never forget this. It feels like a different life, but I met him my first week of college and I went into the old building. We also got a, we got a new music building when I came here to Mizzou. Mm-hmm. And my, my, in my undergrad, we got a new music building, like my first year, second year. Um, so I went to the old music building and I'm, I met him for the first time. And uh, he was very tall. <laughs> right. st- it turns out he still is, actually. Yeah, I was not expecting him to be so... I just remember being like, wow, he's really tall. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He asked, I remember it was a percussion ensemble meeting. And I was really excited. And I remember he asked if anyone would be interested in taking private lessons. And I was like, yeah, for sure. And then, yeah, from there, yeah, we just kept kept going. And I ended up being a music major. And yeah. You know, at that point, when you've had, you haven't had, you haven't taken lessons, percussion lessons yet, right? This was the first. Right, right. That's so, correct. So what, I mean, was he just like, okay, we're, starting from zero basically. And we're just going to build you as a new, a new person. Basically. Yeah. I, I think maybe initially he thought I had more experience or had given, you know, and I, I, because I joined the game so late and didn't have a private instructor, I think there was so much that I was missing out on that. I didn't even realize. So um, I think he probably thought I had more experience than I did, but he did start me off from the basics marimba timpani snare right away and i was like i've never played timpani he's like what (laughs) and then i was like what's a drag (laughs) i never i'd played flams in marching band but never drag in marching band and so we really started from the basics yeah i think you've realized or maybe hopefully have that that that's not actually as as long as the person is whoever you're teaching is is open to this it's actually a pretty good 
it's not a bad situation to walk into. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Cause I've, I've watched some of my students who have quite a background, but just not really the willingness to move forward with me or not the interest to move forward. And then I've seen students so interested, but with very little background, just prosper. So it really is just, you know, how much you're willing to, to take in and practice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Kind of the strategy to get you, to get you caught up. I, I mean, the, I love this about Dr. Closey. He's just very, uh, I mean, he has an order and pedagogically yeah. speaking, it makes so much sense. So, uh, you know, he made sure that all of my previous gaps were accounted for and we did a little bit of everything. Um, we start, we started with two mallets on marimba, which was good because I needed some work and then, uh, moved into four mallets, very basic stuff to make sure my technique was okay. That was the first time I played four mallets. At the same time I was doing timpani and snare drum. I think my first, I want to say my first jury was like rain dance and, uh, timpani etude and a serone or, or a whaley or something on snare. So we we grew all three at the same time. Yeah. Like how big was the studio? I let me start there. It grew so much at my time there. When we started, we were so small. I think like maybe seven or eight, maybe. I don't know. God. Yeah, but then the new building happened and we grew. I mean, the people that were involved in the studio in some capacity is about the same size as Mizzou. So probably like 20. Uh, but actual majors is probably still around like 10, maybe on and off, like, like, and, you know, we only had a BA at that school. So there are people, you know, doing a BA, but like wanted to do education. They're also doing education at the same time, but it wasn't music education. It just kind of was, it was a little bit of a different scenario course wise, but yeah, it started small, definitely grew quite a bit. Well, and with the new building, uh, I would assume that your inventory. Yes. Yes. Yes, it did. And, you know, we got a new marimba and a new vibraphone. Uh, We got a one vibe and some really nice drums. And I, it is funny. Like when I came here, I was very overwhelmed because I had never seen so many instruments. (laughs) And my first project was a, was an inventory list. And I was like, I just remember being so everything felt so much bigger here because we, we just needed more drums because we had, even though maybe the, the size of the studio was about the same, there was a lot more ensembles here than there were in my undergrad. So things are running at the same time. Drums are needed everywhere. We just have to have more drums. Yeah. So that was, that was different. I remember being so scared that I wasn't going to know how to set up for wind ensemble. And I like went into the percussion closet, like the weekend before wind ensemble and like made sure I knew where the snare drums were. <laughs> So I was like, I, there's just so many instruments. Like, I want to know, I don't want to be the only one that doesn't know how to set up. I'm a grad student, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, but we did have some good instruments in my undergrad, that's for sure. What What were the ensemble possibilities even uh, at Eastern? There was a wind ensemble and a concert band when I first started there. And then the wind ensemble, I was in both. Co- concert band was half community members, half students. It was like a very open no audition. I think they started implementing auditions for wind ensemble and then there were some faculty changes. So they took away wind ensemble Hmm. opted to try and strengthen groups more for brass ensembles and woodwind ensembles. So that's how they split it up. 
to kind of grow individuals a little bit more before making the wind ensemble happen again. Um, when I left, I don't remember. I think it might have still just been a concert band, which was half community. So it really was, it was so different. There weren't three bands, four bands. It was like the large ensemble experience was not what what you know it could have been for sure but it was a growing school and a growing department and it was a department of music not a school of music so it's just a very different landscape not to say that there weren't fantastic faculty and a lot of really fantastic students as well so would there no strings program then yeah i think there are a couple individual strings students but i don't believe there's strings program yeah and no marching band right no marching band, no orchestra. Yeah. But for percussion though, we did have a world percussion ensemble, steel band that grew. That all happened when I, when I was in school there, um, we, we got our steel band maybe my junior year and the world percussion ensemble maybe my junior year as well. Two percussion ensembles and a graduate group or uh, not a graduate group, but a small group of top auditioned players. Yeah. Do you know that I uh, I was like one of the the finalists for that 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 job that No. Yeah. What? I would That's I would bet that I would bet and it, and it it was like a better position for for Jeff. Um okay. I'm fairly sure that he and I were one too. I'm like that's I don't know that for sure. Yeah. But but it was funny when when we were in grad school. No. No, we weren't in grad school. I was I was elsewhere. Um but I remember being like Hey, I got a, I got a job. I got an on-campus interview. And he's like, where at Eastern Connecticut? It's like, you jerk. Did you get one too? Yeah. <laughs> so we were, we had lots of conversations about that. Oh um, my God. Yeah. That's pretty funny. So that's pretty funny how, yeah, that's like a kind of a weird full circle moment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. Anyway, being at that school, like what, what, what did it feel? Cause I, it's a smaller school. Um, but it is a state school. Yes. So did you feel like being there that if, and this may be hard to kind of parse as an undergrad, I I recognize, Mm -hmm. but did it feel like a, like, cause UConn is really close. Yeah. You all. So did it feel like big sister, little sister with that? Or was it just like you were all were your own, own bubble and worked it out? Well, I knew a lot of people. I had a lot of friends at UConn and I would go to UConn, especially my freshman year. I was over there a lot. Yeah. Uh, friends. I don't, I knew some people in the music department and I remember feeling good about the opportunities that I had at Eastern in comparison at that time, just with whatever was going on there. Um, and I just remember feeling really supported at Eastern. And I remember having friends that I think just because of the size of, of UConn down the street did felt a little bit lost. I did always want a bigger school. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I was very aware that there was like a larger school close by, but I was, I was surprisingly really happy at at Eastern. And I was not, I hated it the first two weeks. And then I was like, I think this was the perfect fit for me at this time in my life. So I felt like I always had opportunities. Yeah. As far as I know, it, it's the only thing in Willimantic, right? Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Yeah, it's a small little town. Yeah, it's cute. It's getting cuter. <laughs> it's getting <But> cuter. <laughs> you really have to love romantic. <laughs> <laughs> you got to make an effort. Is what you're saying. You to love 
Yeah, you do. But I think if you, I don't know, I found my best, like I'm still the closest friends I have in my life are from undergrad. So, and we talk every single day, you know, so I have, I have an appreciation for the town, but. Unless you had a job. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Unless you had a job for sure. Well, and I know that, and I don't think Jeff is alone in this. I, I know that most faculty live like neighboring towns and they, oh, they don't yeah. live in town. Yeah. Actually, I don't know if I knew any faculty that lived in town. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everything, it's Connecticut. Everything's pretty close by. So sure. yeah. Do you remember what you, what you played for your senior recital? I played uh, Nathan Daughtry's vibraphone concerto with a, with a pianist. I've, I've heard of him. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I played a Gene Kaczynski two mallet piece and a Bach arabesque mm-hmm. uh, transcription, a four mallet. Played a duo with one of my clarinet friends. It was actually Land for Marimba, but it was like someone did an arrangement with a clarinet duo. Oh, so okay. That, yeah. And I think I played Carter and De La Cruz actually on my senior recital. If that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is this is a performance, right? There's not a is there a, is there a, a there's not a music ed degree there, is there? No. Okay. Nope. Yeah. Yep. So I had a BA a BA in performance. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So h- how is Mizzou on your radar? Um, Dr. Arns. Yeah, I think um, I think all the grads have a similar story, but like our our primary professor, so Dr. Pussy just really recommended her from what he had heard. And I was asking a lot of people at the time where they would recommend going and, and Dr. Arns always came up on a list of professors that, that you should consider studying with. Um, and the more research I did about her and her interests, um, the more I was definitely interested in coming out here. I knew I wanted more non-Western experience and I knew I could get that here as well. So that was exciting. Yeah. Was any part of that a desire to study with a woman? That's a good question. I don't think at the time it was in a decision or in, in a, uh, a factor in my decision. I think when I met Dr. Arns in person, it, I realized that there may be some benefits of studying, well, first of all, just with her as a human being, but with a woman. And I, I think that somehow when I met her in person, that kind of clicked. I was like, oh, this could be, nice for me this could be a little bit different yeah and important I didn't realize how important it would be actually it it really was so important for me to study with a woman yeah what in what in what ways I mean it's just like such a huge discussion right but I without getting too deep into it you know I think there have been times where I think there still are some gender differences in percussion or at least sometimes where uh females are treated differently and a lot of times it's not very explicit. It's like very implicit things, comments people make about women playing or even the, what she's wearing when she's playing or what, you know, whatever. And those, I think, can become, especially throughout the years, can become internalized quite a bit. Um, and oftentimes, I mean, especially in grad school, oftentimes I was the only woman in the room playing. And I did, There, you know, there's always going to be times where you're like, Is, am I being treated differently because of the fact that I'm a woman or just because of the, the nature of what's going on in the room. And I never, I never felt that way here at Mizzou, but there have been times in my life where I have. And I think having Dr. Arns 
as like one of the first strong female role models in percussion for me was huge because I had never seen a woman in percussion do exactly what I want to do. And watching her live her daily life was so rewarding for me because I, I could see like I could have a life like her as well in this field. And I, I didn't realize that I had never even seen that before. Um, and it, it really changed a lot for me. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think it's really important for me to, to have her. Yeah. Not only that, but it's also because so much of what you've done is, is non-Western. Yeah. Those, those differences get emphasized. Right. Culturally. Right. Yeah, that's true too. That's true too. And that's interesting to see as well. Yeah. That's a really good point actually. Well, that, I mean, she just really was a, her, and it was nice to see that our interests aligned quite a bit actually. And I think our personalities as well are like, you know, the way that we view our future and, and, the goals that I have for my life are, I think, very similar to the way she lives her life. So it's it was so helpful for me to see that, it, like, being lived out, you know. And it was convenient that a lot of my percussive interests are, like, very closely aligned with hers as well. So I could see what that might look like in my future. When you get here. Yeah. First off, when you get here, what's your first, like, welcome to Missouri? This is now a different place than I've ever been in my life. Oh, moment. that's a good question because I definitely have one. And I'm like, well, I'll never forget. <laughs> I'll never forget driving the last leg of the journey from St. Louis. Mm-hmm. Um, the this billboards on the sides of the roads were just very shocking to me. I mean, it was a little bit of everything, but I mean, like Larry's boots. And I was like, yeah, yeah. Larry's boots. <laughs> And then it's like, it just, a, there's a lot of differences in the billboards. I was like, I'm a lot of religious, a lot of religious content on those. billboards. Yeah, a lot of religious content. I was like, this is not Connecticut anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll never forget that. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I was like, wow, this is different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When you start studying with Dr. Arns, what kinds of things did, you, you kind of mentioned the non-Western aspect, but was there other stuff that you're seeing that you, she either she allayed to you as here are things you need to do uh, as a, as a performer to just improve from what you, where you're at. Yeah, we actually started when I came here. I mean, I had been working on marimba over the summer, so we picked up with that, mm-hmm. but she encouraged me. She kind of looked at my rep lesson and, and um, said, these are some composers you haven't studied yet. And like some composers that I, th- as a percussionist, I think you should study. So I played my first Burrett piece. And I think mm-hmm. we started looking at some Stout. And uh, I just, I expanded my, because there's only so much you can get to in undergrad in four years. So I, I just expanded my knowledge of repertoire quite a bit. And then we, we hit the ground running with multi-stuff because that was kind of a gap that I didn't get to in undergrad. So I played a lot of multi-stuff. I was just very not confident in my abilities to do things that I hadn't done before. And she was like, just because you didn't do it doesn't mean that you're not going to be good. Like, just, just do it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And she, I just, I love that about her. She's just very much like, just do it. Like, why can't you like, just do it. You know, that was what I started with, with multi stuff. And then throughout my time here, she has encouraged me to step outside, even just by leading by example with, for the repertoire she plays with her chamber groups. But just step outside of what I normally would play. Mm-hmm. 
and see if I like it. And a lot of times I do really like the stuff that I used to tell everyone I hate it. So, Oh yeah. 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 Oh yeah. John Cage will play John Cage now. <laughs> I have a, I have a newfound appreciation for a lot of music that I, in undergrad, I was like, Oh, I'll never do that. Like I hate that. Now I'm like, I'll play whatever. <laughs> yeah. I, it's interesting. I think I, I think I was along the same lines. Um, yeah. I remember when I got here, one of the first things through Odyssey, I had played made the Reich Sextet, I think. Yeah. And I and that I remember that being like a I had not played a, a chamber music piece like that. Yeah. And it was it was just like a and I had to same like kind of like you. It's, it's it was like well you just you, you're gonna have to do it so right <laughs> right figure it out <laughs> right and like I think now like I mean there's just a whole world of percussion that I mean with especially since Doctor Arns plays in Switch which is electroacoustic mm. and you know that stuff really used to scare me quite a bit and now I think it's it's fascinating and I mean even just like random like watching Alarm will Sound play really things that before would have scared me. I mean, it's just, it's, I think it's, it's pretty liberating to just like, you know, enjoy all types of music now, which is, yeah, probably what most people experience in grad school is just a broadening of musical taste and yeah. Appreciation. Yeah. And like you said, the mindset for you to, to just be like, that's fine. I got it. Yeah. Yeah. I'll play it. I'll play it. But yeah, well, and too, it's like, in grad school, I felt like I really started playing. Like, you know, I was gigging a lot in town. I was performing all the time. So yeah. I was like, what one more, like, maybe I don't love this piece, but what's one more performance of a new type of music in a, in a lifetime of, of performing music? Like, you know, it's, it's one piece that I'm not a huge fan of, but it's, it's giving me something, you know, I'm learning something from it. So, so, so what I'll, I have one question I want to ask you about um, methods. Which yeah. is, could you tell that Dr. Kliss and I studied under the same person? Yes, okay. I think, I think it's very apparent. Yeah, I, I think so for sure. And yeah, there's certain, like, even just like the tr- teaching how to hold the triangle and like, mm-hmm. and it, it works, you know? And that's why I like, I like Court McLaren's book because yeah. I think it works. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> I just I was just realizing I'm like man that's a lot of uh it's a lot of McLaren yes a lot of <laughs> by proxy in your life <laughs> yeah it's true <laughs> it's true uh, is it some there's it's interesting with that with the course at least the way that that it had been set up there because like you know it's hard it's sometimes it's hard as a as a, as a faculty to want to a lot I know it's like I have to give you the space to to learn how to teach it Right. Um, particularly like that, that first year when, yep. you know, and, but it was also good because, because one, it was like, uh, it's like, okay, there's definitely things to, that I could just help you out that just, I've just, cause I've done them before that right. like I saw, but also that you were, it was real easy because you were very receptive um, cool. to just, That's to cool. just comments. And, and, and that was actually, that makes it, that was super easy for me. Um, cause I'd be like, I could just tell Emily to do this and I know that she's going to do it. Or she'll right. at least listen to what I'm saying and it's fine. Well, I felt like I needed comments, you know, because I, I think the way that that's structured is helpful because, you know, you don't know. Like, I've never taught a college course before. I've never been in front of college students before. So even just recording myself taught me a lot about the way I'm teaching and speaking. 
but having someone be like bring things to t- to my attention that I would have never noticed is super helpful. So yeah, I'm, I'm lucky that I had I had your comments and yeah, someone to to watch me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and yeah. you had to navigate you you were navigating that course the second year during the pandemic like full on. Right. We had students that were out, we were recording right. it. We had to be spread out. Oh, yeah. Even my third year teaching, like this past fall teaching yeah. that course, we were still battling the COVID issue. And it was tricky because some students were just getting sick all the time. And it's it's really tricky. Yeah. It's really tricky. Yeah. It doesn't feel like you've had any anything that's been remotely normal. <laughs> I know. Yeah, this I mean it was good. I got I got my first like college teaching experience during a pandemic. So I mean, I feel like I'm prepared. <laughs> I'm ready to go. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I think it's good, you know, a little a lot of curveballs in in the past 3 years, but you know, taught me a lot. So yeah. What's it been like to have Stephen and uh Jordan yeah. here at the same time <laughs> all 3 years? Oh God, I love them so much. I don't know what we would have done without each other. Yeah, I, oh, I'm i so lucky because the three of us, I mean, and now even with Jeremiah, the yeah, four sure. of, but um, the three of us moving through these three years, I, I really, you know, all of our parents were in town for graduation yesterday. They were all just like talking about how they don't know what we would have all done without each other because we all tell our parents, you know, I don't know what I would do without without Steve or Jordan and yeah, the three of us have become so close and I, yeah, I really don't know how I would have gotten to this degree without those two. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. And you know what? I'm worried Steve's not going to keep in touch with me and he better keep in touch with me. <laughs> it's on That's the record. My, yeah. I'll, let's put it on the record that yes. you better call me. Everyone. So I was like, Steve, you're going to call me, right? <laughs> He's like, go oh, make you call me first. I was like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> so yeah, but. Oh my God, working with them. And we really found, I think we learned a lot about working with other people that closely and had so, I mean, I learned so much about just friendship and interpersonal relationships by working with those two every single day. Cause you know, it's not always easy to work with the same people every day, but it's, it's really rewarding. And I was lucky that it was those two. It's good. It's going to be really weird when you're all not here. Um. Yeah. I know it feels like we're like here forever now because we did three years. <laughs> yeah. It is going to well, be weird. I'm well, sure. what was, I'm curious because at what point this was obviously an um, humanitarian un- situation that we've never had to deal with, but um, how was it brought up to stick around for a third year? How, when did that come up? Yeah, I think it was like towards the end of uh, when we went into lockdown in March 2020, mm-hmm. we had to go home and like we were in apartments. So I think Jordan had his marimba, but I mean, we didn't, we didn't have anything. So and I couldn't I couldn't practice in my apartment because I had roommates and it was too small and not allowed. And mm-hmm. I really missed out on like a whole semester. Um, and then even that fall semester, we knew wasn't going to be completely back to what it would normally be. So I think it was just Dr. Arns that advocated for our assistantships to be extended so that we could have the full experience. Um, So I'm super grateful that it was approved and that she even thought about that and offered it to us because I really did think that had I just done the virtual stuff in the pandemic and 
did the best I could, I, I wouldn't feel like I really had the experience that I needed to have. Yeah. And I'm glad that they're doing that for Jeremiah also. Yeah. I mean, I think he was impacted greatly as well, even though he came in during the pandemic. It was just, it was different. We weren't doing what we were normally doing. I remember that first semester when it was over, I was like, holy cow. That was before the pandemic. I was like, this is crazy. Like I've never had a semester this busy, this many performances. Like I, I was like, wow, this is amazing. And then the second semester, the COVID hit and I was like, if we don't, ha- if we don't have what I did the first semester again, I'm not going to feel like I had a good grad experience, you know? Well, and I believe I may have this wrong, but I think timing wise, it, it hit like right before all of you were going to do a first year recital, I think, right? Yeah. We all had recital. Jordan had a joint recital like that next weekend. Mine was in two weeks. Steve, I think Steven had one planned. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, a, it was a huge letdown for sure. Yeah. I'm still, I'm still shocked that I got mine in a week before everything went to. Oh my God. That's right. I forgot about that. It was yeah. a week before, huh? It was a week before. And it was three days before we were supposed to leave for, um, for Ireland. Oh my God. I remember that. Oh, what a bummer. What a bummer. (laughs) What a a bummer. I know this, this, uh, it really has impacted because, you know, I wanted to go to Ghana on this full trip and that got canceled three times. So it's just such a bummer. Yeah. Yeah, But you know what? We're going to make up for it. So. Yeah. And we'll get to part two with Emily Micklin next week. So stay tuned. This week's rave is the 2022 film Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, starring Jenny Slate, Isabella Rossellini, and starring, written and directed by Dean Fleischerkamp, now in theaters. I was aware of Marcel the Shell series prior to its being on YouTube as a series of film shorts, but never actually watched any of them. But I'd heard great things about those shorts, as well as generally rave reviews of the film in various outlets. Took a chance, and it is wonderful. Marcel the Shell with Shoes On is a mix of stop-motion animation and live-action mockumentary, where Jenny Slate plays a young and very small mollusk named Marcel, lives in a house that includes the director character, played by Fleischer Camp who, while staying in the house as an Airbnb guest, befriends Marcel and Marcel's grandmother, Connie, played by Rossellini, and films a documentary about Marcel's life. The film includes stop-motion animation among the creatures portrayed, but also includes live-action items like CBS's 60 Minutes executives and folks who work on the set, along with longtime 60 Minutes correspondent Leslie Stahl, Marcel's real-life hero, who does a piece on Marcel after Marcel's previous short films go viral on YouTube, etc. This is a charming film, plain and simple. It's a lot of fun. It's funny. It's serious. And at moments, it surprises you with how touching and emotional it gets. Slate, as Marcel, plays both the role understated and realistically. The mollusk is animated to have a mouth and one eye, along with the legs and shoes, obviously, but really grabs you in. 
Fletcher Camp, I guess, plays a version of himself. He's pretty good. Rossellini is great as the grandmother, both adding a world weariness, but also showing great compassion throughout. The film, generally speaking, touches on many subjects, including the loneliness of being an outsider, an attempt to find one's family, making the world make sense within serious limits, but does all this with constant humor and plenty of amazing live action and animated wizardry. A surprisingly great, fun, and touching film. Check out Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. Now playing. And that's our show. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and leave a comment and a rating. You can always find every episode and the show notes at the homepage at PeteZambito.com slash Pete's Percussion Podcast, the episodes. The show is also on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, and many other podcast locations. If you're on Facebook, like the page Pete's Percussion Podcast. You can find me there on Instagram and Twitter at Pete Zambito or by email at Pete'sPerkPod at gmail.com. And I'll catch you next time for part two with Emily Bell. Until then.